This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. That's the name of my show. I am Shane Told. I am your host. As I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band, Today we have a very, very special episode. I kind of go back to my childhood a little bit and my upbringing, and I speak to the almighty Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace. Some of you Americans, if you're younger especially, you might not be familiar with the band, but as a Canadian, uh, born and raised in Toronto, they are just the epitome of Canadian music, especially back in the late 90s. Um, their first two records, Navid and Clumsy, were both massive records. And of course, everything after that was huge as well. But that was their start. And they were definitely one of my favorite bands as a kid. And it's funny, you know, I got more into punk rock and stuff like around this time. But Our Lady Peace was always a band that I really, really, really liked and really respected too. Also, Rain has done so much great producing and songwriting. He's, he's one of the top songwriters in the world. He's worked with Pink. He's worked with Avril Lavigne. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff, and it's so good to have him. Thanks to Rain for taking the time. Before we get into that, I want to thank everybody who listened to last week's episode with Dustin from Thrice. Um, it's the biggest episode we've ever had. Uh, the most people ever listened to that episode, and I really think the last few weeks we've had just so many great guests and people are really latching onto this thing and I, I really think what keeps this show growing 
is word of mouth. So please, if you like the show, tell a friend, tell a loved one, whatever. Just let's spread the word about lead singer syndrome. And I think that that's what's happening. And it's it's pretty cool to witness right now just to see this show growing. And, you know, it's just my little thing that I just started 104 weeks ago. And um, it's really flourished into something special and something that I really enjoy. And I'm so glad so many of you guys enjoy it as well. Also, if you enjoy the show, feel free to go on iTunes and write a review, preferably five stars. And of course, we have the All Access Club. Maybe one episode a week is just not enough for you. Maybe you want bonus content with other people. I even interview people that aren't lead singers. We have that. We have interaction with me, interaction with other fans of the show on the Facebook group. Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise shipped to your house. We run contests. We have meetups. So check it out, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access as a little $6 gets you in. And again, it really is the thing that helps keep the lights on around here, helps keep the show going week after week. Shout out to all my sinners all around the world. Again, the link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. I want to welcome a brand new sponsor of the show you probably already know them. You've definitely heard of them, I'm sure. Maybe you've ordered stuff from them before. They've been around for 30 years. They're called Rockabilia, rockabilia.com. They are the world's largest selection of music merchandise. They have they have everything. They have over 500,000 items to choose from, pretty much everything you can imagine. And it's great if you order from them. You know, you're not just getting the same shirt that everybody's walking around the mall with. They bought it Hot Topic. They have some really, really cool, hard-to-find stuff. One thing you can rest assured knowing is that all the stuff they sell is officially licensed from the artist. So all the money you spend on their website, the money does get put back in the pockets of the artists. And sometimes you can't be sure. I mean, I know a couple sinners bought me some stuff for Christmas. It was super, super nice of them. Uh, I got this black flag shirt that was really cool, but looked really cool on the website. But when it got shipped to me from Amazon, it was definitely a counterfeit shirt from China, and it kind of shrunk up to my belly button, which was too bad. So with Rockabilia, you know that's not going to happen. They're big supporters of what I'm doing with the show. We're going to be working with them for hopefully a long time to come. So make sure you go over to their website, rockabilia.com. That's rockabilia.com today and go pick up something real nice. They got all the best deals and all the best stuff. Anyways, let's jump in to this week's episode and my conversation with Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace. And maybe you should I'm here with Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace. Dude, so good to have you, man. Uh, I've been a big fan for like my entire adult life and more. So it's, it's very, very nice to have you. Uh, you're calling me from, is it Seattle right now? Yes, we're in rainy Seattle. Go figure. Rain and rainy Seattle. That's There's some joke there. Uh, so, yeah, how's this tour been going? I mean, 20 years since Clumsy came out which was 
uh, obviously a huge record for you guys. Does it kind of blow your mind that it's been that long? Yeah, I mean, we're I'm especially me. I'm not one to like reminisce um, and look back on stuff, but I, I think it, I think there's some value in like honoring it, and I think the fans dig it. But what's, it's been kind of crazy in the sense of when we started the tour, we were literally like doing two sets, like a clumsy set, then taking like 10 minutes and switching the stage a bit and coming back and mm-hmm, doing like mm-hmm. a regular all-piece set. And then we were playing new material in the, in, the, in the other set, and it just felt like people, like, yeah, they wanted to hear clumsy, but they also wanted to hear other stuff Sure, um, just, just as much. So we kind of like... We kind of combined the two and and cut out a few of the clumsy songs and and started playing more of the newer stuff from um, Somethingness, which has only been half released. First yeah. volume is out, but it's been amazing to watch that. Like, and and people are digging the shows more. So, yeah, it's hard to know what to do. You know, my band we did a ten year anniversary tour for you know our kind of most popular record, and it was the same thing. You know, you you don't really know how people are going to respond. And right, you know we right. did it. We did it in order from start to finish, which it makes sense with some records, but it doesn't make sense with all records. Right. You know what I mean. And and like yep. some of your tunes are, you know, uh, you know, some of your your best songs are early in the record, and it's like, well, if we don't play, play them to the end, maybe the set just could be better. Yeah, I, and I also feel like we've like we haven't been to Seattle for seven years. We played um, <laughs> where was it? Can't remember what city, maybe San Antonio or no Kansas City. We hadn't been there for thirteen years, wow. so I feel like I feel like with those fans, like they're they're hyped about the clumsy stuff, but they're like, man, we just want to. We've missed like albums of music that we've never seen live, so we want to hear that as well. So totally, it's, it's cool. The cool thing about the live shows, you can change it every night. Absolutely, and I love bands that do switch it up. So a lot of respect uh, for you guys for doing that, and not just being like, nope, this is it. We're just going to stick with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what kind of fans are coming out? I mean, it must be, you know, you talk about places you haven't played in 13 years, seven years. Is it people that were, you know, uh, you know, in, in high school kind of when Clumsy came out? Or do you find there's a lot of young people coming out too that sort of found it up at the record later? Yeah, it's amazing to meet these kids that are like, you know, in college or high school and are fans of the bands for whatever yeah. reason. I think that's just a testament to like the way people consume music, you know. My kids listen to like everything from Tom Petty, obviously to Kendrick and mm-hmm. Post Malone, but like they'll have an I see an A C D C track in there or like Amer like just the weirdest stuff. So I think it's like it's an interesting time and I think, you know, bands that are still out there that have been together for a minute are starting to see um, like a new generation of fans just by virtue of people find stuff in different ways now. Absolutely, but it also speaks to the just the strength of the songs that are on that record. Um, you know, the timelessness of that record, and and, and I mean that's got to be a big part of it too. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I, I think there's something to be said for you know having having had a record like Clumsy that did hit and connected with people and then still um, still making new music as well because I think that feels for for a new fan it's like oh wow and there's stuff that I can experience right now that's fresh too so you're getting it on both you know well totally and as an artist and as a, a you know a savvy band you're trying to push forward I mean I, I, I think it's great to celebrate your past and your legacy and the albums that make you you 
and have brought you to this point. But you know, with your new record, uh, Somethingness, which is like you said, half half out, which I want to talk about later. I think it's important that your fans that haven't seen you in 13 years know that you're still working. You yeah, still have sure. new material. For sure. Yeah, and we're finding, and uh, even even that for the first, because we haven't really toured in the U.S. properly for like five years, you know, and Spotify's only been around for like five or six years. Yeah. It's amazing to see now as we release that first volume, people are coming to the shows and they know the songs already, which is so sick. They're yeah. not waiting for like a full record. It's like they can get it right away, which is amazing. No, no, <clears throat> absolutely. And when you guys, you know, went into doing this tour and you talked about doing it, uh, you know, for you, I'm sure, you know, you have so many great albums and so many songs. Obviously, you can't play, you haven't been playing all the clumsy songs, you know, over the last 20 years. Was it weird bringing back some of those songs that you haven't played, haven't sang, haven't even maybe thought about uh, yeah. bringing them back into the set list? How, how was that? And were there any specific ones that kind of like, I don't know, made you smile or, or just sort of, you know, you, your mind had been changed about them? Yeah, there are. There's definitely a couple of those which I are you know, like pleasantly surprised by, and yeah. then a couple where it's like I'm never, I'm not singing the song. <laughs> and those are the ones that got cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just you know you can't. We did it. We did it in Canada. We did a clumsy album tour um, a minute ago, and I I grit grit my teeth through them, and now I don't know. I'm just not in that place. I just. You know, and and it's fine, right? It's like yeah, that's that shit happens. You 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 write songs that make a record. Doesn't mean they're all great, and I can, I'm cool with that. Some of them, like there's two songs on Clumsy that are terrible. I won't sing them, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. You hate to take that away from fans that like the songs. Yeah, and it's pro, it, it's obviously a personal thing. Um, so it is what it is. And how much of it? How much of um, the songs go through some transformation too? You know, like. Either, either over time they've transformed or you're extending a part or, you know, changing. Obviously, like, things like drum yeah, fills yeah. will change and stuff or a little bit of a vocal melody here or there. But, like, how, how conscious of that are you in, 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 that, in that side of things? The ones that we haven't played for a while, like the deeper cuts on Clumsy, we're kind of keeping true to the album form. Yep. The ones that we do play, like, most nights in the set, Clumsy and Superman's Dead and 4AM and songs like that, yeah, they they've evolved just organically over the years, and uh, and I think people are cool with that. And definitely, we extend stuff and, and kind of have fun with it. Yeah, man, oh, that's awesome. So, talking about the new record, somethingness, um, doing it in two parts is pretty unorthodox, I'd say. I mean, sometimes you have uh, you know an EP when it'll come out, you know, they will come out a year apart, and there'll be like a concept there. But putting them out kind of at the same time, but not. Uh, what's what's the story there? What's the reasoning? I think we you know we had we had a bunch of songs, but I think the idea of us going in to make a record like spending six weeks or even a month on a record it just felt daunting. So we said, hey, let's pick let's pick four that we really dig that we feel are really ready, and let's go get them. And mm -hmm. so we went into uh, we went into Jackson Brown Studio in Santa Monica, which is like really set. It's it's his private studio, so it's really set up to record live. And for the first time ever, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but we recorded this stuff live off the floor, everything. Wow. And it just caught, and it caught an energy that we've, I guess, been trying to get for a long time as a band, you know? Um, and so that was amazing. And we just felt like, okay, we did it. We mixed it, got a chance to live with it, which is cool. And then the next batch of songs are really just kind of leapfrogging on that, on that energy. And so I like the fact that you can, 
when you're stuck in a whole record, sometimes you finish it and, and you just, it's too much. It's a lot to focus on. It's a lot to concentrate on. Yeah. It's a lot sometimes for me to like write 10 really or 11 great songs with lyrics, like depending on where you're at in your life, like, you know, it's a lot to come up with. So mm -hmm. I just liked having the, I liked having a minute away from these four songs and getting perspective. And now the, I think the new batch is actually stronger, which is really cool to say. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. And I, I some of my favorite bands, some of my favorite things, you know, releases they've put out have been EPs. And I feel like just as a band, it's a lot easier to focus on, you know, four, five, six songs uh, and do a great job on that and put it out. And, and, you know, I don't really know when somebody decided, oh, well, full-length record, it's got to be 12 songs and 40 minutes long. Right. And it's got to come yeah. out every two to three years. It's like, wouldn't it be great if, if your favorite band just put out an EP of six songs every year instead? Like, I would yeah, love that. I mean, yeah, we're starting to feel that way. It's it's a like like you just said, like it's a lot to think of twelve songs or ten songs. Like I just kind of I start to sweat when I think about trying <laughs> to do that in in one. You know, it was uh, it was a different time. You know, fifteen twenty years ago. But it, even even now, just for art's sake, it's like you don't want to a you don't want to force something. And I it's funny talking about clumsy in some song. I think that's why, right? It's like we had to put a couple songs on there probably that we weren't didn't love. Because we had to go back on the road again, you know, and that whole cycle, and um, we're just over it now, which is great. No, absolutely. And Live Off the Floor is, is such an interesting concept, and, you know, I know you've done a lot of studio work, a lot of writing, a lot of producing. That's kind of been a big focus of your career uh, over the past, geez, I don't know, at least 15 years. Now, um, when you decide to do that as a singer of a band, uh, of a rock band, isn't it against your better judgment a little bit in that if you were producing a record with, you know, a younger band or something, you'd probably advise against a band doing it like that? Yeah. Yeah, I Do mean, you know and I, mean? I kind of did. Yeah, and I did along the way. Like, I, it was very rare that I would take on a full record with even some of the bands that I was developing. Like, we did EPs, and sometimes it was like three songs. And I feel like... That I mean, it's just it's it's really probably the way I think that's what it was like in the forties and fifties, right? You put out singles, yeah, you know, and you go tour on a single, and I, you're right. Like whenever the long form album came in, because of vinyl, I guess. Um, but even like Zeppelin, like a lot of those records, like seven songs, eight songs. So mm -hmm. true. I think we got into this. Yeah, we got we got into this maybe bad space for a few decades where you're trying to put 60 or 70 minutes worth of music on something and it's yeah it's not it's not really it's probably the one art form where you know you're you got you got pigeonholed into probably pushing the boundaries of the art too too far yeah exactly well i remember reading like a metallica interview uh, back in the day and it was like lars Ulrich talking about how oh we need to give the fans like the most for the money so this is why we write like eight nine minute songs and this is why i think it was their record like load or something was like to the second the longest that could fit on a cd oh really you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and it's like just because it's like that doesn't mean it's necessarily better uh and as a metallica fan i'm gonna yeah. say load is definitely not their finest hour uh but but i mean you know i think that nowadays people aren't consuming cds people aren't consuming no. that 
people aren't like, well, what can my, uh, you know, Canadian prices back in in, ni- in the mid '90s, like, what can my, you know, seventeen ninety nine get me? <coughs> um, now it's like, well, I want to hear a great song and I want to stream it over and over again. So it, it really changes the just the whole dynamics of of what you're trying to do as an artist. Yeah, it's it's true, you're, and you're right. In, in terms of people's attention spans and stuff, like an album is really tough for for people to get their heads around in terms of uh, I I listen to albums but like I've been listening to the war on drugs I don't even I really dig that band I, mm-hmm. I I can't get through a whole like it's tough for me to even find the time to sit through a whole album you know what yeah. I mean unless I'm like driving to Vegas or something like it's <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's rough so I, I agree I, I even like this thought of like three songs every once in a while for fans I think that way you keep them engaged more too and like the way things are going, like the way we did this on Pledge as well, just we didn't we didn't fund the record, but just some you know other items. I love talking to fans, and I think this you know having like like you said maybe a few songs or an EP come out every six months, like you just keep that relationship better. No, absolutely, and, and you know you guys being such a massive band, you know pretty much right out of the gate with Navid and and having mainstream success. The fact that you say you love talking to your fans and stuff like you, you come from an era where there was a little bit of mystery, you know, because there wasn't yeah. social media, yeah. there, you know, like like people knew things about you because you told a reporter that wrote about it. You know what I mean? Like you could do an interview and be like, oh, I really like this kind of cookie. And then the next thing you know, kids are throwing cookies at you on the stage. It was, yeah, it was yeah. that kind of a thing. And now I know like you were a few minutes late for this because you were doing a VIP meet and greet. And that's kind of something that probably didn't happen as much. Is that something you enjoy? Do you enjoy getting that perspective kind of right from the horse's mouth of, in terms of the people that are going to listen to your music? I do now. Yeah, I, I used to be much more insular as an artist, like earlier on. And I think, I think now there's uh, like that's what keeps us going. You know, like the having been independent. You know, doing deals with labels on our own terms now. Yeah. It just I just love that direct to fan connection. So again, I don't give everything of myself to them, but I do love the fact that we get to sit and talk to people. You know, we do follow social media. I'm not like, you know, I'm I'm not on it all the time, but there's a lot of value in that. And ultimately that's who we're who you know, who we're playing to is those people that that uh are following us on, on Instagram and Twitter and it's it's an amazing relationship that we're just lucky we got to live through both because yeah um, totally it's tough it's tough when you have to start from the beginning in this way oh I know and that's like even today I was doing an interview and somebody asked me oh well, like what's your um, what's your advice for for up and coming uh, artists and literally my my response is I don't fucking know oh uh, yeah right I would have no idea what to do now if I had to start like I know what you don't do like you don't do what we did you don't make us make a uh, well, for you guys, it was a tape, I'm sure, but you know, burn a CD on your computer and send it to every label and send an eight by ten glossy. You know that that's like definitely what you don't do. But it, you're right; it's it's almost impossible to know what to do now. As a band, I, she's like, it, you're really right. Yeah, it's it, it, it is one of those things where I don't even know. I, I, if you're gonna get in the music business now, man, you better love it, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. Speaking of speaking of the music business, um, obviously you're married 
to uh, Chantel K. I don't know how to say her last name, so I never <laughs> do. I just nice. say K. I like that. That's uh, good. Yep. Well, I don't want to fuck it up, so I just I know I can say the letter K. Um, and that's been a very, very um, kind of a, I don't know, relationship that I think a lot of people in the music industry can look up to. Uh, obviously, you've been together a long time, and you've had a really awesome working relationship, too. And you have children, three children, and, and all that. How has that been with her in your life? And, and if you want to tell the cute story how you met, feel free. Uh, but... How hard is it to separate a marriage where it's like, okay, we've got kids and we've got bills and we've got a house and we've got these things, but also we're going to work on music together, whether it's, uh, you know, songwriting for other people or, you know, your new project, uh, Moon vs. Sun. Oh, wow. Saying you're in it, man. You got it all. Um, what do you mean? Did your home- you did your homework. It's ah, good. come on. I do this all the time. You're episode 104, okay? Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but aren't you, aren't you even, are you on the road right now, too? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm actually laying upright in my uh, in my bunk on my bus. Oh, my God. That's I'm in, awesome. I'm in Calgary. Yep. Oh, you are. Sick. Uh, you, you know what? It's like, I think for me, it's been easier to be in this line of work when your spouse is as well, because... Um, just you know, understanding the the light. It's not everyone gets it, you know. I mean, yeah, you're in. You know, you're you're touring now too. It's like we've been out for a month now, um, and I have kids at home, and but she gets it, and she'll go do her thing, and and then Moon vs. Sun is like a good way for us to finally, after 20 years, like do something together. Sure. Um, that's you know rather than writing for someone else. So I just think yeah, it's made it easy in a way, even though it's it's you know. You have two crazy art, crazy artists in a house, but <laughs> yeah. ultimately, yeah, ultimately, just understanding what what each other's going through on, you know, because your creative side, you know, especially as a singer, it's like writing is kind of a nonstop thing. So sometimes you'll be in the middle of something and be like, "Oh shit, I have an idea, I have to leave." I don't know if most <laughs> people would understand that, you know. Right, totally, totally. Um, well, you guys must have some pretty cool guitars kicking around the house, at least. Yeah, man, our our house is just one big studio. Really, I've kind of got it rigged that way. I, I have it all wired that way too because we have a couple of pianos in different rooms and we have a real studio. But it's just kind of yeah, it's it's amazing when you're just if you have an idea to be able to go capture it right away. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I just can't imagine. I'm, I'm I've never really dated a you know or been with somebody that's that's like a musician like me. And you're very right about that, like understanding, oh, this is the tour schedule, these are the, you know, this is what I got to do, and it's like, you know, you could say something like, oh, and she, you know, you can call your wife after the show, and, and you know, she, she might ask you how it goes, and you'd be like, oh, man, like, my in-ears were, like, cutting out, I was, like, getting, like, RF, exactly. like, RF, like, really bad, and, you know, like, things like that, so, so that's, that is actually a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it helps, it, it just makes all that, like, the, the stuff you're just talking about, it's like... It's it's a non-starter where you don't have to like explain it. It's just people get it, which is cool. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the production work you've done, and um, y- you know, writing, I guess, and I guess writing and producing kind of go hand in hand up to a point. Um, but but I, first, first, I want to talk about you producing Our Lady Peace Records, and obviously, mm-hmm. I know you worked with some big names um, that probably taught you a lot, but. What is it like when you decide, okay, you know, and, and either you decide or you and the band decide or you and the, like, there's a few people that make that decision. When you say, okay, I'm going to produce produce my own band, how difficult is that to really kind of, you know, 
see the forest for the trees when you're the singer and the writer and also the producer? Yeah, I mean, I think early on, like through spiritual and happiness, those two records, I was kind of co-producing anyway. You know, I was I was just heavily involved with everything. You know, all the details after making Navid and Clumsy, I was kind of I was I guess there was a little bit of osmosis, obviously. You know, when you're in the studio, but I really took an interest in terms of sounds mm-hmm. and you know, and just tones and 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 trying to figure out like where we should exist and. Um, so I got into that really early on, and those two records, after after Columbia, the Spiritual and Happiness records, I you know I don't even know if I was listed as a co-producer with our producer Arnold, but definitely was. The band kind of knew it, and then you know, and then we made a big switch to Bob Rock, who was like producer producer guy, right? Um, so it was another, it was kind of a left turn for us, and it was another just another learning experience. But Bob, Bob, I really liked because he started as an engineer in Vancouver, you know, like that's yeah. what he did until before he was producing. So he really, um, he was a guy who was like, if you wanted to get like that Eddie Van Halen guitar t- sound or the, you know, the edge guitar sound or the way Bono recorded vocals or some AC, you definitely crazy don't want cr- that. <laughs> no, but, but I'm Bob kidding. was like, Bob could get whatever you wanted. It's right. like, you put up a record, you know, you put up like a record by Bauhaus. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I have that amp. I know I have that, you know, whatever crazy amp that, that they used to record it or the Smiths or it was just like, fuck, man, you're incredible. So, yeah, he was really cool and, and learned a lot from him. And then just when we moved on from Bob, it just felt like, look, it's time for us. Really was more about like getting back to just trusting ourselves as artists and not having anyone else in the room. Abs- so, yeah. That, that's kind of why I took on those duties and um, the last couple records we were with a really good friend of mine Jason Later who is like Rick Rubin's right hand guy and right. does a lot of production on his own so it's I, I just think we're all in it anyway you know I, what the title is I don't even know what that means anymore we're all kind of the whole band's in on it now yeah that's true and I, I think obviously like a producer can mean a lot of things right a producer can be a guy that literally just sits there and tells you how the song should go um, you know, or or whatever, or that was a good take, that was a bad take. Do it again, or a producer can be like kind of the, pretty much the engineer too, or sometimes yeah. the engineer can be kind of be the producer. So everyone does take take on different roles at any point, you know, in the re- recording process. Um, damn, Bob Rock. No, I, I mean I remember being a kid watching those Metallica year and a half in the life, you know, uh, VHS tapes with yeah. Bob Rock and stuff so it's like he's if I ever met him I think I'd freeze up and I'd have so many questions but the yeah, first he, question I, mean, I was at, would ask him is what the fuck is up with the snare drum on the St. Anger record yeah you can we, get I any mean, tone we were, you want you just said Rain you can get any tone you want and that was what he decided the trash can lid that's so funny well I mean we were around for all that when we were making our the second record with him he was uh he was getting all the edits from the, you know, the that DVD or the documentary they did, and oh yeah, taught, we and we were hearing Saint Anger like stuff, and and it, I think they just, you know, they just wanted to do something live, and it was so different and so outrageous, they decided to go with it, but. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like it. It was hard to listen to. <laughs> it was very hard to listen to. You talk about the War on Drugs record being hard to listen to, like, like honestly, like that should be like a, a a bet or a dare like someone if you can listen to the Metallica record Saint Anger like three times in a row without stopping 
like you know like I'll give you like you know a thousand dollars or something that's Cause, hilarious cause that's I don't, hilarious I don't know if it's possible I don't know if it's possible <laughs> yeah I think it was probably a dare for each other like that's why they decided to do it like they each dared each other to release it and no one blinked so they did it <laughs> I think so man uh, so you brought Navid you know your first record uh, everyone's first record is the same is the same story you know you got all these songs from from way back and you know uh, you, you try to put them together and you have demos and you got to remake the demos and all this stuff um, and of course like you don't know what the hell you're doing but one one story that, that I thought was really interesting that I read was about the title track Navid and how it was a song that came late in the process you wrote it you know during your pre-production session and it became your favorite but you didn't get much love on that song from uh, the record company, etc. Yeah, for sure. It was like that was that was a song for me that I felt like, okay, we're ready to make a record in terms of you know just having just having like a re, like a key song that you just felt like if this is what people hear from us, I'm good. Like I'm really proud of this. Yeah. Like there's a not there. It just felt like okay, this is where we need to go, but. We finished the record and like no one said anything about that song. And I remember like not fighting with our label because you know we were a new band and I didn't I didn't I, I was you know you're listening a lot right. I, I knew what I felt about it, but it's like okay, everyone likes a song called Starseed. Yeah. All right. Let's. I felt like Starseed was a little like popular, pop maybe. Song. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, a little popular. I felt, I felt like it's this pop song. I said we don't want to do that. So they. So we had this huge like. Not fuck you meeting, but it was like, okay, we're not going to put Starseed out first. The band's really against it. So they put out this song called The Birdman. I was like, okay, so we're not putting it on the beat. And then everything, it took a while. Like, it took a long time for that record to break. But it wasn't until the fourth single, which was Naveed, that the record really broke. And right. I'm like, see? Like that, like, you know, it's it really, it really, like, early on, I felt like, okay, like, not to say I told you guys so, but like this is what we were pushing for. Finally, it comes out, and that's when everything really blows up. So, it's a good thing in terms of like trusting your own instincts. Of course, and like imagine leaving that song off the record, or or just kind of letting, you know, being a young kid and, and doing what you're told and keeping your fucking mouth shut. Maybe maybe you guys wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't be talking to you right now because that that song that's was so important. I, be I believe that 100%. Like, and and there, you never know. Like, if we wouldn't have, we didn't really have to fight for it because we didn't really have a lot. We didn't have, I think we, everything we recorded ended up on, on the records. Not like we had 20 songs. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, just be, no one was, no one said a, a word about that song. So it could easily have got pushed aside. And it's so strange, too. I mean, the record is, it's the title track. Like, you'd think it's a, an A&R guy's, you know, marketing dream. Like, that's what you want. Is a song. It's this this song. The title track. Like this is how good the album is. It's and I, I mean that song to me is like pretty undeniable. I mean it's got a, like an incredible chorus and like a very cool kind of intro reintro well, part. Uh, I, same, I, I don't know. I, yeah, you're bringing up like uh, it's so weird because it just it was it's still to, to to this day like I remember I could visualize sitting in like the studio control room with like our manager and our A and R guy. And having these conversations about because they were all psyched so hyped about Starseed, I was like, "What? But what about Naveed?" And they're, they're just like, "Yeah, I don't." That's a great album track. It's like, "Oh fuck, you got to be kidding me!" <laughs> yeah, that's funny, and, and I can relate this to my band too. We had a song. Well, our biggest song is called "My Heroine," and and yeah, everyone wanted to leave that off the record except for me. Oh, for real? Yeah, yep. and and I and I ended up getting pushed, you know, 
down to the B side of the record and I really had to fight for that song and then of course the record comes out we're not playing it live because no one really likes it except me right and then you know a month later everyone's freaking out about this song and it's like okay and that was the third single on that record too you know because yeah. Uh, yeah. because nobody really thought it was was the song so it's true like you gotta really believe in your art as an artist especially as a young artist and um I wonder, you know, I guess this is a question for you. As a producer working with, or, or a songwriter, whichever, um, working with younger artists and bands, do you ever find yourself in that position where where a young artist is like very insistent upon something and you might not get it, but you can almost go back to 1994 and being that kid and be like, you know what? Maybe I do need to kind of respect this artist's, even though I think he's wrong, I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's happened a few times where I've worked with with, with bands where they really dug their heels in on something, and um, not to the point where it's like uh, deciding between what the first single is, but you know, things on choruses and and maybe having a verse that was like three times too long. But <laughs> yeah, I I feel like in this day and age, because it's more in my job. You know, because I'm not like producing Coldplay, I'm usually working with like when I'm producing like newer artists. It's like you know what, you gotta you, you gotta let them have it. It's their it's their art, and you know it's not the end of the world because they're just starting their careers. So, do you have any interesting stories about working with you know young artists, either with like songs or um, specific songs or anything that you've done? Because I mean, your list the list like I could ask you about specific people, but there's just so many. Uh, you know, I just kind of wonder if there's any kind of antidotes that that are you know yeah you think i mean of. one of my i think one of my favorite artists to that i ever worked with was um care from die mannequin oh yeah I'm not yep. sure if, yeah yeah i mean she was you know she was probably the closest thing, and i'm you know from like pink to whoever but care walked into our studio and put on her guitar and plugged in and started playing these riffs and singing over them. I was like, holy shit, this is like, maybe like what, you know, when Butch Vig sat with Kurt Cobain, maybe? Like, I felt like that. You felt like that, yeah. I felt like I've, I've never been in a room with someone with that kind of talent and like confidence. And just like, fuck you, this is what I, like it was, a the, the guitar was a part of her, her lyrics were just like, out of this out of this world and you know it was it was pretty i it really affected me i just i felt like it made me want to get better if that makes any sense wow that when did when was that i mean it could have been uh, that long ago. ago yeah it was a while ago it was probably like eight years ago yeah, now. yeah eight years ago yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, working. I know you work with Pink and Avril Lavigne and all these people. Um, that is that is you know kind of crazy that you single her her out. I guess that really speaks to her, you know, her talent. That is amazing. Yeah, she's she's incredible. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so probably probably yeah. ahead of her time. That's the only problem I think well, in terms of like her having a huge career and that that happens right. That does happen, and and there's so many factors. You know, I mean, it, like. There's been so many bands that were going to be the next this, the next this, the next this in every genre of music, you know, from punk rock to pop to hip hop, and it didn't work out. And there's always that you're like you can scratch your head and you can point to certain things, but there are great records, uh, some of the best records that no one's heard, 
you know, because, yeah, I mean, even because I of that. At, I, look, I look at our career. I mean, it's like so much of it is luck. My God. Yeah. Well, that, well, I mean, your career is, is a great example because you guys coming from Toronto. Uh, yep, shout out to the six, everybody. Um, hmm. You know, coming from Toronto, I, I guess, I'm guessing you guys were signed to a Canadian label at first. We were, yeah. yeah. We signed to Sony Canada exactly. at first, and so you US to, picked up on it. Yeah, you signed, exactly, but obviously it's a lot easier to go the other way. If you're signed to a, you know, a U.S. label first, it's it's a lot easier to transition into the U.S. So you guys having just this massive success in Canada, um, you know, f- playing arenas and stuff like now even, um, doing all this crazy stuff, and then, you know, you go to the U.S. and it's like you're playing mid-sized clubs, which is great. I mean, to be doing after after uh, uh, 25 years, uh, but obviously, was there some frustration, you know, in those days that you're like, we're this great band, we have this great record, everyone in Canada gets it. Like, why can't it work in the U.S.? No, I mean, on after Clumsy and Gravity, those two records, you know, were both platinum, and I think like the success in the places we were playing then, definitely. I mean, I, you know, we just. It's 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 a much bigger country, obviously. So yeah. I, I think you know, and I I, I kind of gauge it by more when I'm I'm looking out on stage in terms of the audience's passion for stuff. So you know, like that that's that's a good barometer for me. And if you know, even like tonight, I don't know, we're in Seattle at the Neptune. I don't know, it's probably fourteen hundred people, but they'll be singing as loud as an arena, which is like that's. That's cool with me. That's amazing. No, totally. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people dipping down from from the Vancouver area as well. Um, but do you do you have to change it up at all? Like, like, or do you kind of take the same approach? Because if you're playing at you know I don't know an arena in Canada, uh, or you're playing like you know something like that where you're talking about ten thousand to fifteen thousand people sometimes, is it different than when you're playing at fourteen hundred? Or do you kind of just put on the same show and kind of yeah, let the music speak for itself? Yeah, I mean, even we, even the way we've designed our like our our light show, it really works for whatever. Oh yeah, because you know, even on this tour, you know, there's been some places that are like three thousand to a place like tonight, which is about half that, and it really like we're we're announcing a tour uh, for March across Canada, which will be in like arenas and theaters, and that the, the nothing will change, which I think is really cool, and I think people appreciate that. It's they don't you know like no one's getting ripped off. It's not a lesser show. No, 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 def- definitely not. Um, is, are those going to be more uh, clumsy? Twenty uh, year? No, no you're, no. you're. I guess That's you're leaving that, gonna... leaving that twenty years behind. Otherwise, it would be the twenty yeah, twenty one year. This is it. This is it. We're <laughs> gonna go. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go cross with Matt Good and do uh, do some big shows. So I'm psyched about that. Oh, I love Matt Good. That's tri- that's terrific. Yeah, uh, clumsy yeah, will be, be fun. clumsy will be twenty one. So clumsy can uh, be old enough to get drunk. There you go. Exactly. Um, well, in Canada. Clumsy's been drinking for a while, but um, uh, so a couple things before I let you go. Um, I want to ask you about this new record, uh, part two. Is it finished? Um, when is it coming out? Of something? Uh, it's, yeah, you know, the, it's it's pretty much done. I, I was actually just listening to a mix uh, this afternoon. The, probably the last song that's being mixed. So it's it's done. We just got to get in into the streaming services so probably and it gets busy with Thanksgiving and Christmas so um, it'll, it'll be like first week of January I think second week of January oh cool that's a great time to put out a record that sounds awesome yeah and yeah. Um, another thing that, that you know you're really known for is 
um, you know, all your work with charity. Uh, you know, you've done so much, you and your wife especially. Um, I know your ongoing work with, with War Child and stuff is important to you, but what else have you been working on in, on that front? And um, is there anything you can kind of plug uh, for people to check out? I mean, the world right now, I'm sure we could do a whole other podcast about that. Uh, but I just kind of kind of want to know what your focus is on right now in terms of your uh, your efforts, uh, you know, for 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 philanthropy and charity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, War Child is kind of always. My wife just did a big, the first like real gala for War Child in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. They raised half a million dollars, which was amazing. So we're always we're always involved in War Child because we're just like so close to that. And talk to the, can you can you explain a little bit what that is because some people might not know. War Child, it's uh, it's a Canadian grassroots charity that has just grown over the years, and they just focus on children that are in uh, war affected zones. So, um, you know, it's really it's it, 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 kids kind of are the ones that get overlooked usually in war affected zones because you know they're the ones that see the just incredible sadness. But that's it's hard. It's 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 hard to to get to. You know the problem with children in those in those parts of the world is there's the the, the psycho uh, social effects of war are something that takes a long time to recover from. So you know obviously places like that they need food right away and they need you know shelter and all those things, but the mental health aspect of it is so crucial. Right. So that's that's really where War Child uh, is so effective and understands that space really well. And then in terms of what where Chantal and I have been putting a lot of focus lately is really on mental health in general. You know, I think that we're seeing it now. I mean, it finally feels like, and, and Bell's amazing at it, you know, and, and people are really embracing yeah. it. And so it's just, but it's going to take a while to get rid of that stigma. And, you know, we have, we have um, people within our own family that suffer from it and, you know, bipolar. And it's just, it's becoming more common now with people. I just hear, I even hear people just talking about it more and not being ashamed and embarrassed and, we, we just go by the model that if one person in a family sick, then the whole family's sick. And that's how you got to treat it. You know, we don't treat mental health like we do cancer yet. Where if someone in your family gets cancer, everyone rallies around and wants to help you. Mental health's not there yet. Right. No, that's, that is the goal. I, I totally agree with you. And you actually traveled to some of those uh, war-torn countries, didn't you? Yeah, we saw we saw you know set up programs in, in Ethiopia and, and Sudan and been to Iraq and yeah, so I, you know, I, that's that's why we're so close to Warchild because we've I've seen it on the ground. Like I've seen the programs, yeah. you know, you've seen I've seen the sustainability, the way they go about their business compared to other charities. And I'm not knocking other charities, but Warchild sets up stuff that is sustainable because at some point they do have to leave. But you need to make sure that there's people that are going to take it over that can really run it properly and know what they're doing. No, absolutely, and I, I assume there's a link people can check out. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure yeah, it's warchild.ca. Warchild.ca. That for our American people listening, that is our very Canadian URL ending. It's .ca. I bet Amer- I bet some Americans don't even know that. They, uh, but they, uh, they also warchild.usa. Like they, they run. Oh, okay. Sam Nutt, who runs Warchild Canada, also runs Warchild USA. There you go. There you go. Warchild.ca. Yeah. Uh, dot, sorry, Warchild.usa. <laughs> Uh, Dude, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, new record tour next year. Uh, Is that one announced yet, or did you kind of spill the beans on the March uh, Cross Canada run? Yeah, you you got it, man. We're just talking about it today, so there we go. 
That's amazing, man. Well, that's that's. I'm not going to miss that one for sure. Um, uh, Our Lady Peace and Matt Good. That's going to be awesome. All right, man. Yeah, well, come well thanks. Hi, I, sorry. Come out and say hi on one of those shows. Man. Absolutely, man. I'll I'll let you know. Um, if I can come by, I I think I'm home in March, so I'll be I'll be in Toronto. Beautiful. All right, we'll Randy. Be safe on the road, dude. You too, man. All the best. See ya. Okay. See ya. So there it is with Rain. I want to thank him again and his publicist for setting this up. It really was cool to talk to a guy, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd asked me when I was in high school, if I'd be talking to him on the phone, it just blows my mind. I'm really, really excited for the invitation uh, to go see them in Toronto. That tour's announced. Our Lady Peace with Matt Good all across Canada, playing some really, really big places. And yeah, go get your tickets, go get your VIP and of course, be sure to check out all the new Our Lady Peace music that is coming out. It just came out. More is coming out. Very, very, very cool. As you probably know, I always play music on this podcast. And I feel like some of the American listeners might not know this song. And we talked about it a whole bunch. Uh, to me, it was just an obvious hit. Um, I think maybe why, you know, now thinking about it and, and listening to the song again, why maybe Rain's people were like, oh, I don't know if it should be a single, is because it is almost six minutes long. But here it is, a great tune, what a chorus, the first song I ever heard by Our Lady Peace. Here is Navid on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love.
Sweet wood leather, young 